0: that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Patrick J. Burns has served as adjunct professor of music at Montclair State University since 1994, where he teaches courses in music theory, orchestration, and composition, and has also been the director of the New Jersey City University Symphony of Winds and Percussion since September 2011. As a clarinetist, Mr. Burns performed with the Metropolitan Opera Summer Ballet Orchestra, the Pitt Orchestra for the Broadway revival of Camelot, and the New Jersey Chamber Music Society in broadcast for NPR and New Jersey Network Television. He also taught for 15 years in the Caldwell-West Caldwell Public Schools. In 1986, at the age of 17, Pat founded the Bloomfield Youth Band, a community wind ensemble of some 50 secondary school and collegiate musicians, which he continues to direct today. His compositions for Symphonic Band are performed by bands of every level throughout the country. He has been featured as a guest conductor and clinician with public school, community, university, region, and all state bands around the United States. Pat's music for Symphonic Band is published by Bandworks Publications, G. Shermer, Dane Publications, Grand Mesa Music Publishers, FJH Music, Wingert Jones, and TRN Music Publisher. His music has appeared on band World Magazine's Top 100 list of band composition six times. From 2003 to 2010, and since 2013, Mr. Burns has served as the Bloomfield Federation of Music's president. In March of 2010, he founded his own publishing company, Bandworks Publications, which he continues to operate today. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome pat to the podcast this week well i saved an absolutely fantastic guest for our last podcast of 2022 one of my oldest and dearest friends fantastic musician performer conductor and most importantly in my opinion composer all around great guy the very famous patrick j burns and dear friend of mine pat welcome to the podcast
1: well thank you jim and uh what an introduction! I can only go downhill from here. <laughs> I think. But thank you. you, so you for didn't... our
0: listeners, Pat and I went to college together. And before I, I have you trace your kind of career trajectory uh, and and you know your your walk through music, um, we met uh, back in 1988 when I was a freshman and you were a sophomore at Montclair State at that time, at Montclair State College. And you're one of the very few people that I've stayed in touch with over the years, Pat and I credit you as one of my very earliest mentors because i will never forget a conversation that you and i and had you and i had in the cafeteria where you were basically like start being serious start practicing a lot because you can't be a good music teacher if you're not a good musician first and uh i thoroughly appreciate that pat i wanted all of our listeners uh to uh hear me thank you publicly but i really do and uh it's really an honor for me to have uh you on the podcast this week.
1: That's so nice, Jim, and I, I do appreciate it. And it, we've come a long way together as friends, especially since we hated each other when we first met. And exactly. that's, that's another—that's another story. Yeah, we'll tell um, that another time. Uh, yes, yes, but we—and uh, I appreciate that. And you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, I think we we learned a lot from each other, uh, you and I, and then and then and then in the circle that we were in as freshmen and sophomores. And I, I hope that's still going on in universities. I think students really do, we have to remember that they learn from each other as well. Oh, absolutely. And some very important life lessons along the way, career lessons. Um, and so it's it's nice to hear that. I I learned lots of things from, from peers, and I know that you did too. So you're very sweet to mention that. Thank no, you. I
0: appreciate it. So the way I start every podcast, Pat, and, and you may or may not have listened to them, but the um, I love hearing the stories of how people got to the position they're in today. And you have a very cool story, in my opinion, because you took a a kind of, a, a, you know, you took your career has taken lots of different twists and turns over the years. Um, and I'd love for you, if you wouldn't mind, to start from like when you first realized hey, I'm really a, a great clarinet player, or hey, I might want to be a composer, or hey, I want might want to be a music teacher. Like So from your middle school, high school career on up to where you are today in, in like a five, 10-minute thumbnail, if you don't mind.
1: Sure. Um, I'm like many people, I think, uh, in, in our profession, whether it's uh, general or vocal or instrumental, I'm a product of the public school system, my public school music uh, program in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Which was wonderful, and um, I started in fifth grade, which is the first opportunity we could uh, we could take an instrument. I chose clarinet. No one in my family um, played instruments or really sang. I mean, they sang for fun, but no one was a what what we might call a learned or a serious musician. Um, the standard kid in elementary school going to an uh, an instrument demo assembly. Yep. And I was in the audience, and then, you know, here's the flute, here's the clarinet, here's the trombone, et cetera, And something about the clarinet just attracted me. And um, this was back in the day where you could have a couple of little lessons after the demo with your music, with your prospective music teacher. And if you did well enough, um, which I did, and a few of us did, we were actually sent home with an instrument, believe wow. this or not, to see if you, I mean, when you could demonstrate that you could put it together take it apart so we had these little mini lessons um how to you know put the reed on the mouthpiece et etc and they actually let us take home a trial instrument i'm sure that this is never done i never would have done this when i taught right <laughs> elementary instrumental for 15 years um, but um and i remember walking home that day in the spring and uh, or maybe it was the early fall and my mom was standing at the the door and she said oh what do you have there And I said it's a clarinet, and she said, "Well, come on in and show me." And then from there, I um, I played in band, and I um, that was in fifth grade. When I got to sixth grade, at the end of fifth grade, actually, I got a little scholarship to the summer music program. Oh, cool! Yeah, and which I've now taught at for twenty five years. And you're in town. I played a little duet with an older kid. It was kind of it was fun. I mean my my parents, my grandparents were super proud. you can imagine right you, you know how that goes. And um, in my sixth grade year in the, I guess it was the fall of my sixth grade year, a couple of the kids who played instruments were like, hey um why don't you why don't you study uh, why don't you take private clarinet lessons? I was hearing this from kids that were my own agents. What do you mean? Well, there's this guy in town. Named John Sabano, and he teaches private lessons. And I'm studying sax with him. Oh, and I'm studying flute with him. And he teaches clarinet too. So one of the kids, um, you know, gave me his phone number and I brought it home to my mother, and then she called, and I studied with John Sabano um until I graduated high school. Oh, Uh, that's awesome. Yep. Um, and it's because of John Sabano, and not because of anybody else that. I wound up starting the Bloomfield Youth Band in 1986 when I was 17. He was the one who said, um, you know, you really should start your own band. I mean, this is a private music teacher telling us, yeah. then 16-year-old, you know, why don't you start your own band? And I, and I, of course, I was like, are you, what are you, crazy? Hmm? I said, how, And she, and he said, well, you know, you have an interest, you have a great interest in playing, you're very serious, you have a great interest in conducting. Greatest interest in uh, you know all these things, and you seem to be a good leader. You'd be great at it. And I said you're insane. And so every week, every single week, Jim, he would mention something at my lesson. So how's the band coming along? Or ah, oh,
0: that's you know, awesome.
1: Or you know, I talked with so and so who plays bassoon, and you know, would you? You know, he would play, and then she, I'm like, what are you doing talking to people? I'm like, there is no band. And by May of my senior or my junior year in high school. I was so sick of him bringing this up in our hour. It's like he would bring it up. There's 30 seconds left in the lesson. I think, oh, I'm getting out. No, he mentions the band, the the classic persistent teacher. Right. Yeah. And I said, you know what? Okay. I said, Memorial Day weekend's coming up. I'll make some phone calls and I'll see if people are really interested. And he said, well, all right. But if you get enough people to do it, if you really, really try it, do you promise that you'll do it if you get enough people? I said, yes, I will do that. So that was like on a Tuesday, I would have my lessons or Wednesday. And I come in a week later and he's like waiting at the bottom of the stairs where he had his, ba- his studio in his basement. And I opened the door and I looked down. He's like, so <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. and he's got his hands in his back pocket. I said, well, I got 32 people. Awesome. And he said, well, I guess you're starting a band.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. I didn't know that story, man. Yeah. That's
1: awesome. Yeah, and it, and it, now I'm in my 37th year of that and um that's because of John Spano. Um I it never would have happened without him. And there were a lot of other people that wound up to be a great help after that, but it's because of his persistence. So we think about education and teaching and persistence. And you really never know. Sometimes we see those seeds Mm-hmm. take root sometimes we don't or sometimes we think they don't um we're we all i think struggle with this uh in, in education not not just music education but education at all we Absolutely. really don't know sometimes um but you know there's an example where it really it really did take hold um i went to you and i as you said met in at msu I was going to do other things. I was going to maybe go into physics or law. Um, You know, my algebra was absolutely terrible except when I was solving the problems in physics physics and chemistry, but I was absolutely hopeless just solving for X. Right. Concretely. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, I would not be the guy to build the rocket because the rocket would explode or the building, the building would collapse. It's like, I don't want people to die (laughs) Um, because my math sucks. So, um, the thing that really tipped me into music was I was thinking about it, but I was very serious about doing it all state and all that, but I I didn't think about it really as a career until my senior all state experience with a great, great teacher. Um, long past now, Warren S. Mercer. He was the director of bands at North Hills High School in Pittsburgh, uh, legendary band director, and um, he was my all-state conductor. And I'm telling you, I left that stage that day. It wasn't just feeling great after a concert. It wasn't just an immense high. It was something very different and very special. And I sort of been chasing that again my whole life. Right. Um, And that really changed my life and that's what, uh, that really did change my life. I think that, you know, sometimes that can be uh, used as a cliche, but it really did. And um, I went into Montclair as a music ed major, but I was practicing, you know, probably two or three hours a day on my instrument and, you know, serious about uh, playing. I started composing. I was dabbling in high school. I didn't know anything. Uh, a lot of kids today are writing amazing stuff in middle right. school, and high school. I never could do that. I, I didn't know anything about theory. But I do remember my first day at Montclair State University, I started getting serious about writing, too. So I was doing I was I just dove in and got everything I could. And I was a music education major uh, until a week before uh, my first student teaching experience. Yep. And by then I had uh, been playing more than most performance majors and gigging and writing as much as composition majors or more. And I love teaching, but I realized I have to do the playing and the and the writing. And I went into Lisa DiLorenzo, who is, has been a mentor to us and to so many, 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 yep. many. And I said, Lisa, I, I can't do this. I need to switch and I thought about it long I thought about it for months it was really tearing me up Absolutely it's a huge and huge decision especially it, when you're that that far down the track It is and it and she said to me she said I I thought I've she said I've been watching you over the last few months and I know that you haven't been happy and that you've been struggling and I'm not surprised that you're telling me this and she said if anybody else came in and told me this I would say absolutely no but For you, yes, I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna support you because I know that whatever you do, because of your passion for teaching, you will you will come back to teaching and you will be an even better teacher for it. Oh, that's awesome! She was a great like a selfless,
0: you know what I mean? Like that, I love. I I, I've I've raised her name on this podcast numerous times, and Lisa, if you're listening, we all love you. Uh, Yeah, that that's just great advice.
1: It is, and and to and look, the risks were high, and you know I talked to with my parents about it. I, I'm, you know, I probably talked to you and other friends about it. And of course, if anybody came to me now, and uh, students have over the years say, you know, well, I, you know, you did this, and I would say, listen, yes, I did. It's a much higher risk path. Get your music ed degree. Do you like? Do you want to teach? Do you have? Yes, I do. I do. Okay. Well, then get your music ed degree, and then then get your master's in something else, or you know, keep practicing. Unless you really don't want to teach. If you realize, realize, look, I don't want to teach. That's a different thing. Yeah. I love teaching. I always have. I have as much passion for it today as I did, you know, thirty years ago. Um, I don't see that going away. But the it was higher risk and to and then to be supported not in a oh sure do whatever you want way but like look i know you've thought about this i know you've struggled with it and you know i want you to be successful because i know that you i know that you will be and what what a great affirmation yep. for for a young music student she's she's uh yeah lisa de lorenzo that, and that 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 gives courage, right? I mean, it, to, to a tough decision to say, look, I'm going to, I got your back. I will support you. Very
0: important. Absolutely. Because you're, you're, you're basically going out on a tightrope without a net. And mm-hmm. when, when the person that you respect most says, gives you the blessing to do it it, it, it empowers you. There's no question about it. Right.
1: And my parents were, you know, my parents said what, what two thoughtful parents would say, like, look, Pat, will." We, we'll, they said, we will support you no matter what. We know how serious you are. We know you love this. We will support you no matter what. But you're so close. Why don't you, you know, right, why yeah. don't you get your absolutely just they they said everything right. Right, right. But I right. but I just said I know in my heart that I just have to do this now. Yep. And then, you know, the a few months later I was playing at the Metropolitan Opera for a month for, you know, the summer ballet series and things like that. So the, these things you know i was so serious as a player and as a as a conductor as a composer as a teacher i couldn't get enough of any of it i wanted all of it right because i i i love all of it i you know have since then i don't want to get too off into this but i lost my playing career um by the time i was 27 or 28 my playing career was over because of some sort of neuropathy in my right hand that they really never could pinpoint i can use my hand absolutely normally but i've been to every kind of doctor you could imagine when i was in my 20s um over about a four-year period and it was a neurologist including physical therapy wonderful physical therapist and a neurosurgeon at the end of this road she she did some tests and she said i have great news for you this is after four years or so jim said i have great news for you i said finally what she said you don't have ALS
0: you don't have
1: muscular dystrophy you don't and she and I I looked at her and I was terrified (laughs) but relieved and I said these were on the table and she said oh yes oh wow and she said now usually with somebody your age or even anybody older like a little thing like this usually is is localized she said but sometimes that little thing can be a harbinger of something much worse, right. so we have to check it out. But I'm telling you, uh, with absolute certainty, you don't have these things. So Now, I didn't know whether to feel like, I sort of felt like I won the lottery, but I didn't know whether to be terrified or relieved. Exactly. You know, and I was both. And and then I kind of got my thoughts together. I'm sure I, I was stammering. And I said, well, what about my clarinet playing? And she said, well, that's a little bit more difficult. Uh, she said, and she explained where the delay was in the forearm, where right. you know, she could see the results she showed me. And she said, now, as to what it is, based on your other test results, I really don't know. She said, And then she said, but if you want, um, I could uh, open you up and I could poke around in there and try to find something to fix. Oh, boy. And I said, <laughs> bye-bye.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and I left there thinking about, wait a minute, you really are lucky. You really- Absolutely. Yeah and yeah, you know, I I tried to put it in perspective. And then um I try I I just had to start letting go at that point. Right. And once I did, finally, and that's a whole story in the in and of itself. I saw a job in the paper for teaching music it, Woodwind specialist, three days a week, full benefits and tenure in the Caldwell system. Yeah. I I mean I um, and I knew half the people that taught in the system, including the, the supervisor. I, I uh, applied, number of interviews, I got the position. And then they said, we understand that you teach at MSU two days a week. What what two days do you teach there? We'll work our schedule around yours.
0: Oh, wow. I mean- That's awesome.
1: <laughs> but I had to let everything go. And then at the same time, I started being asked to write band music. And it wasn't like I, I told people, hey, I've quit clarinet playing because I can't play anymore. Help me. It's right. just- you know, I did let contractors know. Thank you for keeping me on the on your list, but I can't do it anymore. Right. But um, and then, in addition to Montclair, I've been at Montclair for about thirty years, teaching theory and composition. Um, all that time, I, I uh, nineteen ninety eight to twenty thirteen, I taught elementary instrumental in the Caldwell Public School System, which was was fabulous. It was fun. It was rewarding. I loved the kids and teachers and. What great fun, just a challenge. Um, I knew I would enjoy it, but I loved it much more than I thought I did, which was, it was great. Right. And your, I mean,
0: it's it's just a fascinating story. And and I remember playing back in the late eighties, early nineties with your Bloomfield youth band. And for those of people, you know, that you, you mentioned it, um, you know, a a little back and uh, the, I can't say strongly enough how it felt like playing with that group was like playing with an all county or, or, or an honors band mm-hmm. because every kid in there was really serious. And I remember as a college freshman and sophomore going, I better practice because I got a boom, you know, I got a youth band concert or I got a youth band rehearsal because the kid, the playing level of that is, is fantastic. And you've 37 years, is that it, right?
1: This is, yeah, I, I started it on our first rehearsal was August 1st. 1986. Yeah. So that was the that was the summer between my junior and senior year of high school and uh this is our 37th concert season or our um well I know when this is airing so our concert was on December 3rd. There you go. Um, <laughs> and and it went great. Uh we're Absolutely, taping before yeah. that so I'm I'm seeing into the future. So
0: now Pat but, you and I have I've I've had the pleasure of um um we're bringing your music and bringing music of uh, the, the the other composers that you represent with your incredibly innovative publishing company called Bandworks Publications. I've written blog posts about it. I did an article for Music First, and I I just think it's a fantastic organization. And I'm in my head, I'm thinking that that might have been part of the reason why you left the Caldwell West Caldwell Public Schools was because you know you're composing i know you do tons of um commissions and and lots of uh you know guest conducting now that school you know now that everything's back open again um what what made you start Bandworks publications talk a little bit about it and um and you know what, yeah. what's the ethos behind it
1: you know it's 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 more a a hobby and a and a and a survey of um people's purchasing habits in a way yeah. um um a lot of people over the years have said you know you should start your own publishing company and like they, you know you should start your own band and of course my initial reaction to that as an adult was like when i was 16 years old listening or 15 or 16 listening to my clarinet teacher saying you know you're crazy why would i do this and it's not a company in the sense of like there is a staff. I'm like I'm it's it's a mom and pop shop without mom. It's just me, you know and 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 uh, of course the composers that 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 um, you know have uh, stuff that I publish. but I thought about what a standard publishing model is. And by the way, what I'm going to say here is not a criticism of the publishing industry. It's not. I know many, 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 many people. Um, names that you know, names that you don't know, um, who are in the publishing industry, and and I love them; they're wonderful people. But I thought, if I'm going to do something like this to, as a vehicle for my music, which basically it is, um, it would be nice to have a few other people, if they want to to come along. I don't solicit works; I don't I don't invite people to to submit things because if I do, I'm going to have 600 scores and I'll never be able to listen to them. I can't do it. Mm. Um, And I only do a couple of pieces a year, um, but I thought we can offer composers, um, the opportunity to have their work published and sold without my or the company actually owning anything. I do not own anyone's music Mm -hmm. except mine. So if you buy something by Anthony O'Toole, Anthony O'Toole, uh, and who's an amazing writer. yep, so absolutely. He, so he, you know, he licenses me, gives me permission to be the sole selling agent of certain pieces of his. Now he has pieces published with other um uh, publishers, which is wonderful. and and everybody does. and that's great. And I by the way, I do too. Right. Um, and so i will I will sell things. i will I will sell and I can pay a higher royalty and uh royalty standard royalty that i pay is 22 and a half percent Wow. The the industry is well there has to be an incentive because i'm not a big company. I right, mean a right, big right. company can move, you know, hundreds or thousands of units. I can't do that. I it's not a full-time thing for me and it can't right. be. Um but hopefully uh, there's a there's a certain quality and there's a certain um um what's the word? uh flexibility employment or not employment wise, but publication wise, that maybe other others don't have. Um, Again, I do I do not want to own anyone else's work. So it's been it's been a sort of experiment. Can I have a small publishing company that's a vehicle for selling and and promoting my own music and music of a few other people who might be interested in coming along and taking a chance on a a super small pop shop? Right, right. Um, but I'm not going to own anyone else's music, but, but yours, uh, but, but mine. Right. Um, and so if somebody says, look, you know, uh, and I say it's a five years license. If somebody has been with us for, you know, uh, for seven or eight years and says, you know, Pat, you know, I'd like to, um, maybe have, have that back to, um, uh, which happened recently, um, I'd like, If you wouldn't mind, is there a way that I can buy this back from you? I'm like, no, you. I won't let you buy it back. I will just say you can send it to somebody else because I don't own it. Right. Yep. Um, I think it's extremely important. Now, this is a personal statement um, for the artists to retain control of their work. I understand. And again, this is not a criticism of the publishing industry because publishers as companies, it's a different thing. It's just a different entity. But in my little corner of this, I mean, very little corner of this business, I can do it this way yep. to see what happens. And in its own way, it's, it's been successful. It's as it's, it's a, it's a small as small gets. But I like to think that it's, it's, um, it's, doing, it's doing good things, um, you know, on programs and for students and for educators and conductors and audience members and composers.
0: No, I, I I love your model. Um, I'm going to put links in the uh, description of this podcast. So if listeners are interested, they can go to your site. They can go to BandWorks. Sure. Check out what you do. I I was uh, lucky enough to commission at, at least one. It might have been two pieces from you for my middle school band when I was con- when I was uh, still teaching. Um, I urge mm-hmm. I urge everyone uh, to check out uh, your music. It's a really great model, and the and the idea of being able to print out the PDFs, uh, the the way yep. you deliver the music is really cool. Um, yep. I just think it's really well thought out. And I, you know, the publishing, the we we at Music First, especially with Practice First, we are now working with over twenty five different publishers. You know, and it's a tough business. It's absolutely, it's, it's a very very hard business. And it's there's brutal. Like, if you're not on a certain list, you know, if your piece yeah. gets on a list, it's a touchdown kind of thing. So yeah, and it, totally just, well, get it.
1: Yeah, and one little thing relative to that, uh, you know, m- mentioning the PDFs, it, if you buy from bandworks, you can you can choose the a print option or a PDF option. If you choose the print option, I'm going to send you a bound score but one copy of every part, just one. And if you get the PDFs, obviously you get the PDF score and and each file separately for the parts. If you have 65 flutes in your band. Right. Print out 65 parts.
0: Yeah, that's that's I mean, the part that I think every band director needs to rewind and listen to that again. Yeah, I
1: mean, I look, I'm a I'm a director too. I mean, I don't want to say, look, I I have um you know, I have a lot of of this particular instrument, but there's only two parts here. Do I have to All right, so now I have to order um eight more of these. Yep. And then I have to, no, 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 no. And I'm not charging you more for that. Like if you're going to print out, if you're printing out 65 flute parts, you don't need a bill. You You don't need, you don't need a bill from me. You need compassion, right? Right. So, so God bless you that you have that many, just you print that, what I, what I ask everybody and I, you know, just, if you buy it, you can print it for your band. Great. Just you know, keep it on, keep it in your, uh, you know, in your library, in your, on your shelf and don't share it with others. You yeah. you can never stop people from doing it, but hopefully, uh, you know, people are, are keen on observing the honor system. And I think most are. Yeah.
0: So we're going to, I'm going to steer the conversation because we've got about maybe 10 minutes left and mm-hmm. um, to steer the conversation to the the world of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on specifically, other than being a really fantastic uh, person is what, what composers do with technology. So I'd love to like, just real quick, what, what is your process? Are you going like directly into a notation program? Are you playing at a piano? And are, is it a mixture of like, how is your relationship with technology when you're composing?
1: Right. Uh, So I I use probably less technology than most other composers Mm -hmm. do, whether I'm writing band music or if I'm doing um, orchestrations, video game orchestrations, full symphonic um, stuff for a wonderful uh, company. Um, But I use Sibelius Mm -hmm. um, and I have a Korg digital keyboard. The keyboard is not hooked up to my computer. So I have, I check things and I'll, you know, I'll play some things. I'll, I'll, I'll notate some things. Sometimes it's pencil or pen if I'm somewhere else and I'll bring it to Sibelius and I will just use Sibelius and those wonderful um note performer sounds mm-hmm. that are incredible yep. for the price, especially. Oh my gosh. And by the way, I'm, I'm betting that most of most or all of you, your educators out there know about note performer. If you don't, check it out, because I think it's only $129 a year for the license, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but if you're Hmm. using Finale or Sibelius, the quality of sound and the seamlessness of the interface um, with Sibelius, I'll speak only for Sibelius because I only use it with that, is wonderful. Um, So that's basically the extent of the technology that I use Um, in terms of writing, of course, I upload things to YouTube. I edit on, um, you know, iMovie and things like that. Um, but I don't, um, but in the, I'm, I'm actually like in the actual creative process, right.
0: When you're sitting there running a tune through your head, putting it on the piano. Um, I was having this conversation with my graduate students at teacher's college the other night, like what is the impact or what is the role of the actual software? Is it, you're just documenting what you're hearing and playing in your head and on the piano, or are you actually using the, does the software itself help with the creative process? Cause I have a very strong opinion on that and it it might be heretical. I don't think the software helps at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I think that it, it, it certainly it makes it much easier to document and, and to orchestrate and put, Mm -hmm. you know, a, you don't need the uh, ranges anymore, Pat. You know, you don't right. have to know is this out of range. Um, but like, it, what do you think the impact is of, um, of of technology on your creative process?
1: Right. I think I think the probably the most succinct way for me to put it is to say that the technology amplifies the imagination. Oh, cool. Um, and like it, the... it, that's really what it does, right? I mean, so you know, you hear this whatever this is in your head whether it's a phrase or a melody or harmony or a timbre and immediately i can use that digital paper right the digital manuscript paper to put notes up and to try things and say hey that orchestration that's exactly the way i hear it but hey you know what maybe a little english horn would be fine here too and or maybe I could use a harp here. Now, you know, now I'm now I'm getting a little crazy, but when you're writing video game music and having things recorded by orchestras in Europe, you can ask for whatever you want. Right, oh my right. gosh, it's you want to talk about fun. Um, but the technology is amplifies the imagination, but the imagination is I guess the highest technology, right? Yeah, now. no, um,
0: there's nothing more, nothing more technologically
1: advanced than
0: the than the human brain, in my right. Opinion.
1: And but I think that you know the technology, what whatever people use it for, using and I'll just speak using Sibelius, using a notation program. It it allows you to be more productive. It allows you to move. Um, it allows you to get your ideas out faster. It allows you to. Clean them up faster. It allows you to realize what may not have been a good idea faster, and to and to hit upon a good idea quicker. So it it expedites the process, um, and hopefully it 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 elevates the quality uh, as well. Um, um, I find it indispensable. I mean, I started with pen and paper and pencil and paper, and I can still do it that way. And every now and then I do. Um, but also using the technology to make something visually beautiful and able to be put on stands if we are doing concert music or music for recordings, uh, th- that is to be recorded in a session by musicians who are reading music, um, what a blessing. I mean, so you're not only getting these great sounds, but you're able to, to make camera-ready, beautifully edited, um, um, standardized you know, notation. Which is just that's talk about an industry changer visually, if nothing else. I mean yeah. me.
0: So I have a question for you because you've been teaching at Montclair State for 30 years. You've been about there 30, for yeah. probably yeah, been there probably longer if you add in your undergrad work. Yep. Um I have had this argument with many, many people over the years, and I think you're gonna agree with me, I hope, and that is that every music ed major that ever walks Across a stage at the end of four years and gets a diploma should be required at some point during their music education coursework to compose, period, full stop. Because, in my opinion, um, one of the reasons that it's not taught more in schools, in or or certainly not seen as a niche or something, quote unquote, you know, extracurricular or something that only a a, a relatively small group of kids do. I'm not talking about like, you know, Daw like GarageBand, soundtrack type compositions. I'm right. talking about, you know, um, composing in in notation software. Um, I I mean, there's a there's that's a whole lot to unpack there. I think that composing in a Daw is just as relevant and just as cool. But, um, you know, with with I've always seen that the universities think that yes, students need to be able to know how to use a notation program because it's. It's the equivalent of a musical typewriter, if you will. It's like being an right. English major without having a word processor. But the the notion of like requiring it, and when I was the president of ATMI, I tried to make it my platform that I was going to get NASM, uh, the National Association of Schools of Music, to require it as a and and they just roundly rejected me. And and I, they say, well, it's part of the theory you know that theory teachers right. are supposed to have kids do that i just wanted to know what your take is on that am i crazy or, or do you agree with me uh you are
1: crazy but for different reasons All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that go back to you know decades which yes, you know yes, we're not yes, going to yes, get yes, personal yes, in yes. this part. so no i see your point but i also see the other point i would make this analogy um imagine that um uh, a you can take, let's say somebody who has taught English literature for 20 years at a high school or at a university and is just brilliant, wonderful teacher, um, encyclopedic knowledge of literature and style and culture and, you know, et cetera. That amazing teacher that is so well-read and so uh, understand and with such a, such a breadth of understanding may not be able to write
0: right. a creative
1: yep. paragraph at all. Um, so is it a valuable thing? Yes, and I certainly see your point. Like
0: if you Well, you're I'm able- not saying that they should be comp, you know, comp, composition no, majors, you. but at least just you. try it. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: what I think you're getting at though, and what I think you're getting at is a manipulation of the language, okay? Mm. So, um, In other words, I I don't think that any, I don't think that a music education major necessarily needs to be able to compose anything. Um, What I do think is extremely important. In fact, I had, I have this conversation with my theory classes, is that you're able to understand and explain and deconstruct and reconstruct and analyze the music in front of you. Mm. And so you might never write a choral piece, but can you analyze this piece? You might never write a sonata, excuse me, but can you analyze this? Can you discuss it from multiple angles? And if you can, if you can, in other words, if you can manipulate the language that way, Mm. even even a step removed, that's more valuable. Now what you're talking about, hey, it's great. If you can get in the weeds here, and actually manipulate the language. What chord am I going to use here? Can I do a melody here? Can I do this? I would love to be able to do that more in my teaching um at MSU. And this is not a fault of the program per se, but we only have two days a week of theory.
0: Yep. That's exactly the exactly the argument that I got. And I I, valid.
1: (laughs) Yep. It is, I will I will say to try to keep up with the curriculum, which is four semesters. And there's there's additional semesters for certain major you know certain concentrations yep. but we, the, the core is four semesters there's just no way yeah. um and it's an it's a, it would be great to do um what I think it should be is encouraged um okay I like you know, that I like play that. look play with this is what composers do I mean composers play. We play with notes. I mean, maybe we're paid to play or we just say, hey, I, you know, so I have an idea. I want to play around. And you can tell, you know, a lot of times when when composers are writing it's like, oh, that person's having a great time just playing around with that idea and that, yep. you know, encouraging people to say, look, I, you may not consider yourself a composer, but, you know, get behind that piano or get out your guitar if you're or your instrument. And just even if you just improvise, um, you know, it's that... Um, We'll talk about vintage carpenters. You know yeah. the Carpenters song. Yeah, um, sing a song. Don't don't worry that it's not good enough for anyone right. else to hear. Just sing, sing a song. Right. Oh, and I love that, it. You know. Uh, and by the way, Richard Carpenter does not answer his emails. Not happy about that. But that's another story. Oh dear. <laughs> well, my dear friend
0: Pat, I have time for one more question, and it's the question that I ask of every guest, and that is the magic wand. So, hmm. um, if you could wave a magic wand and have music technology do something that it can't do now, what would it be?
1: Wow, I I read that in your in your list of questions, and I thought about this a lot. I'm not sure that I have a good answer.
0: All right,
1: but <laughs> I but what I what I do wish is that I would like to see more students, more, uh, especially more music students, uh, music ed students being, feeling free enough to try things that they think that they're not good at. Technology can help with that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a, a piano or a guitar or your instrument or your voice can help with that too. But technology can really help with that. Technology can, as I said earlier, I think amplify the imagination. A lot of students will tell themselves, oh, I can't can't possibly compose. Well, have you ever tried? Well, no, but because I know I can't. Well, I think that's this sort of bridge between the thinking that you can't and possibly being able to, and maybe there's some, some amazing things on the other side of that. I think that's where the technology can be a bridge um encouraging and that's where educators we educators can use technology or the availability of technology to uh invite students to to just try things it's all a laboratory you know every time that we're teaching any subject whether it's in a band room or a general music room if it's on a cart in a third grade class or in a university band room or wherever these are all laboratories We are we are engaged in serious thought and artistic thought and, and expression and encouragement, but they're all laboratories. And I think the technology is a part of that laboratory that you know, can allow um, students and us too as educators to feel free trying things, uh, feel free to try things that maybe we didn't think were possible, maybe did, we didn't think we uh, had a talent for, but maybe we maybe they are possible and maybe we actually do.
0: That's awesome. Well, Pat, that is a, a perfect way to end this. And I do want to, uh, before I before I sign off with you, I want to wish everyone who's listening to this podcast a, a, a wonderful uh, holiday season, no matter what you celebrate and make, I, I hope that it's filled with music and all your concerts go well. And you have a wonderful uh 2023 but pat it, absolutely i think everybody who listened uh to you on this podcast knows why we're such good friends you're a fantastic musician conductor composer educator and uh the world is a much better place especially music education with you in it so thanks so much and have a wonderful christmas and new year my friend
1: well thank you jim and i can't thank you enough for those words and for having me on and all the best to all of you educators and students out there, just keep fighting that good fight every day. Remember that someone, a lot of a lot of people out there need you. So go, go, go make uh, go make great music and do great things.
0: Oh, thanks, Pat. That was awesome. Take care, man. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks
1: for listening.